Tonight is an incredible night because I'm going to be introducing our fall retreat speaker, Chris Horoska. Come on. Yes. Yes. Some things about Chris. One, he's got the same haircut as me. Great haircut. Highly recommend it. He used to be good at basketball. No longer is. Kind of got an old, creaky old man's body. And he is an incredible Bible teacher that planted a church in Omaha called the City Light Church and actually became a church planting family. He's a part of our church, uh, planting family, the Salt Network, to reach major cities across the United States. And one church in a place from Nebraska began to plant a church planting network that would actually affect many cities across the states. And so I'm really thankful because he's an incredible Bible teacher. I'm so pumped for him to be here. So Salt Company, let's give a warm welcome for Chris Oroska. Come on. Thanks, Tony. It's awesome, awesome, awesome. Thanks. All right, guys. Hey, this was, how fun was this? Um, Rachel, you crushed that, by the way. And you also saved the story when you said, like, uh, Sparks flew. I was like, are we promoting Fall Getaway just so we can hook up with you? Like, what is happening right now? And then you're like, buddy, put a ring on it. So like, okay, you saved it. You saved it. Um, so that was a huge win. Uh, okay, so to get started, um, again, it, it's a joy to be here. And I just want to say, this is a taste of heaven. If you want to know what heaven would look like, it will look diverse. You're going to have black and white and Filipino and Korean. There's going to be every tribe, tongue, and nation. If you don't like diversity, you won't like heaven. Amen. And I love that our God is reconciling a diverse people to sing in unison, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Amen. So what, what's heaven look like? It looks like this. What does heaven sound like? It sounds like God's people singing to a God who has been faithful to seek and save. And, and what's the culture of heaven? Have you ever been around people and you're like, man, why are y'all so stuffy and uptight? Always anxious, watching too much CNN and Fox News, getting yourself all worked up. You know what it's like in heaven? Joy upon joy upon joy. And y'all know what we were just doing in here? Just dancing, acting goofy, singing some parody song. But it's a little taste of heaven. That's what we're getting tonight, a little taste of heaven. And you know whose word wins in heaven? The word of God. And we never get bored with it. So I'm so excited to send under, sit under the word tonight. We're going to be in Luke chapter 18. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get them open or activated. Luke chapter 18. I want to preach a message called Jesus Gives Mercy to the Guilty. Uh, I want to ask the question, what is our confidence before a holy God? Is it God's mercy or our merit? That's the question on the table, okay? So it's good to be with you guys again. But this is kind of surprising for me. Even that I'm standing on this stage in front of all of you, it's not surprising because we're in Minnesota and not Nebraska. And that's not the surprise. The surprise is I grew up in a busted family, and I never in a million years thought I would be the guy teaching the Bible. Like, I didn't, this was not my dream. Like, and I didn't raise my hand when I was in third grade, and everybody's like, what do you want to do when you grow up? Like, I want to be an NBA player. I want to be a pilot. Like, I want to be a preacher. Like, that was not, that was me. That was not me. I was not like, you know what? I can't wait to get in the church game. That looks incredible, you know? You know what I was when I went into college? I limped into a school called uh, Wayne State. Some of you guys might have seen it. You've Googled it. Maybe you tried to get into it. You got rejected. It's a very prestigious school. I'm joking. The requirements to go to Wayne State is you have to take the ACT, but you don't have to score a number. That's my kind of school. Amen? It's just about participation, baby. I love schools like that. <laughs> Pell grants, baby. I got paid, so stop hating. Some of y'all got debts on debts, all right? So, hey. <laughs> Everybody mocks me until you got to pay it back. All right, so, so, so went to Wayne State, and, and here's who I was going into Wayne State, right? Like, I was the college student. I loved your story, bro. Like, I was that guy. I was bitter at a dad who left when I was young. 
And because dad left, mom stayed, but she had mental illness, I was passed around to foster homes. So I was an addict, right? Trying to prove my masculinity through uh, pursuing sexual sin. Didn't know how to get free. Insecure looking for identity in sports. Thought, man, if I just wear that jersey, that's gonna make me feel like a somebody. That's gonna get rid of this absolute emptiness. If that girl says yes to prom, then then I'll finally feel valuable. If I can just sit at the cool kids table by the end of high school, then I'll be that guy. Have you ever gotten everything you wished you had and still realized it doesn't satisfy? I was the guy going through the motions and thinking, man, if there was a God, then he surely wouldn't want anything to do with a guy like me because he's distant. All he really has to offer people are weird rules, weird rules. And I don't want anything to do with that. Let me tell you about my first roommate at Wayne State College. I, I grew up in, um, in Nebraska. There's one pocket of Nebraska that's like filled with diversity. It's in Omaha. It's on the north side because, you know, cities, they redline. And so they push uh, all the people there. And that, I kind of grew up right in the middle of that high school. And I was the one white kid on the basketball team. And so all of my heroes growing up were like Tupac and Biggie and Bone Thugs. You know, like that's kind of how I was just shooting dice. Like I didn't know how to spell words, but I was just hitting on sevens. You know, like that's it. So... Um, that's kind of more my high school experience, you know? Um, I, didn't, I didn't know how to spell AP class, you know what I mean? Like that was just more my ride. So I pull up to Wayne State and I'm gonna go play basketball and do the whole thing. And, and I didn't really realize what I was getting into. So I go to Wayne and Wayne, Nebraska is a town of 10,000 people and it's a school of 3,000 people and none of them have been to Omaha, okay? And so uh, most of these people, so my first roommate is a guy named Kevin. And I, I meet him, and you know, you're kind of like, I don't know if you, you guys live in a day where you guys know your roommates before you go to school. I lived in a day where you pull up and you're like, you literally have no idea. Like you have no idea what you're getting into. And so I, I got in and Kevin was there and he had like a cowboy hat on. And I was like, oh boy, this is going to be a ride right here. And he was unpacking his flannels and boots. You know what I mean? And so I'm like, oh, okay, Kev, let me get to hear a little of your story. And he went on to tell me like, oh yeah, I grew up in this small town and less than a thousand people and I uh, grew up with my mom and dad and we went to a local Baptist church and um, didn't play any sports but was really involved in theater (sighs) okay and so I was like tell me more and he's like oh yeah in between high school and college like I took a year to go to this bible one year bible college because I just want to know the bible and then we took mission trips around the world and and I was like, dude, tell me about your life. Like what, like what, like just let me just, true or false. Let me throw some questions out there. Have you kissed a girl? No. Okay. Okay. So, all right. Uh, have you been in a fist fight altercation in your life? Never. So you've never been hit in the face? No. Have you, have you ever hit a man in the face? No. Okay. What do you do? What is you doing with life? Like, what are you doing with your life? You know, like all of the questions, like I just, we had almost nothing in common. And um, I tell you that because he had his Bible open and he was trying to explain to me like, Chris, yeah, I haven't done those things. Like I don't cuss and I listen to Caleb and I, I'm not that guy, but you know, like I'm not, I'm not a good person. I'm like, if you're not a good person, bro, then I don't know a good person. You are the nicest person I've ever met in my life. But in the back of my head, This is what I heard. I heard that if there was a God, the only thing that God would want from me is to move from where I am to where Kevin is, to move from a bad kid that does bad thing to being a good kid who obeys the rules. Have you ever felt like that? Like the invitation of Christianity is try harder to be a better version of yourself and hope that in the end, God will accept you. Well, that's what I believed until I started reading the Bible, until I started getting around people like this and understood the gospel and Jesus broke into my life. 
So the question on the table tonight, again, is when you think about God, is he pleased with you right now? When you think about God, is he delighting in you right now? When you think about God and he sees every little thing that's happening in your heart, all of your anger, all of your frustration, all of your bitterness, all of your lustful thoughts, all of your pride that is pursuing your self-glory and is always worried about everybody in this room is perceiving you. When God sees you, does he delight? Is he distant? Is he disappointed? Is he angry? Is he sad? Does he love you? The question, uh, how you answer that question, question absolutely matters. It matters. Like at the end of your life, you got to stand before a holy God, the Bible says. And at what point are you going to be confident? Are you confident? And your confidence can only be in one of two things. This is what I love about God. Your confidence right now in this moment where you're going to find confidence before your relationship with God, if you have any, it's in one of two places. You're either looking at yourself saying, I'm better than I used to be. I did something good this week. I'm at least here. I'm better than a couple friends that I know. Or your confidence is in one person, Jesus Christ. You can only be confident in one place. It can't be a combination of both. It's one or the other. It's either your spiritual resume or the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So that's where I want to go tonight. Is your confidence in God's mercy or your merits? God's mercy or your merits? So again, uh, well, let's go ahead and jump into this text. I want to get you guys into this text. Luke 18, we're going to pick it up. And uh, I want to show you guys a, a couple different postures. What we're going to see here is Jesus has been traveling uh, in Luke chapter 9, he says he set his face towards Jerusalem. So Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. Uh, we know what's going to happen in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, he's going to be falsely accused of crimes he didn't commit. He's going to be arrested. He's going to put on trial. Uh, he's going to be nailed to that cross. He's ultimately going to pay the price for our sins there. And, and so that's where he's headed. But as he's traveling, he's running into multiple people, and he starts his teaching ministry. He's like, hey, I can't just walk by and not address this issue. So that's where we see him today. He's going to be traveling to Jerusalem, and he starts to take a moment to address a couple people and start to tell a story. It's called a parable. It's a small story that illustrates a big spiritual truth. Luke 18, verses 9, here's where we go, all right? Here's what he says. He also told this parable. He's telling a story to illustrate a truth. To some who, look at his audience, trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So he's talking to his audience, right? He, he understands the audience. The audience has a low view of God and a really big view of themselves. And the problem at hand is they were trusting in themselves. At the end of the day, when they come back to that question of why am I good with God, they're coming right here. They're not looking to a God bigger than them. They're not looking to a God that's merciful towards them. They're not looking to a God that has forgiven them. They're not looking to a God who's been faithful to them. They're looking to me. That's their trust in their own righteousness, their own living, and their own sobriety, and how long it's been since they looked at pornography, and the fact that they're a better version of themselves today than they were in high school. That's their confidence. And let me just tell you, whenever you get prideful, me focused, it's about me, I'm awesome, I'm superior, I'm better, look what happens in the human heart. What's happening? What's happening? How do they treat one another with contempt? Guys, do you know what pride always does? It divides. Whenever you find yourself thinking, I've got it figured out, you always elevate yourself above someone else. This is not, is this not what happens in our culture? Racism says, my race is better than your race. Sexism says, I'm a male, you're a female, I'm better, I'm stronger, I'm bigger, I'm more entitled. Ageism says, you're young, I'm old, you're simple, I'm wise, I'm superior, you're inferior. But the Bible doesn't say that, right? And so that's what's happening. 
There's pride here and self-righteousness here. And whenever that happens, your vertical relationship with God's going to be off. And then your horizontal relationship with each other is going to be busted and fractured. So Jesus says, no, 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 time out. We got to have a little teaching moment. Come on in. Let me tell you guys a story. Are you all right? Let's see how he settles this. Let's meet the characters of the story. Again, this is a story. He says, two men, verse 10, two men went up to the temple. So a holy place, a church place, a sanctuary place to pray. One, a Pharisee, the other, a tax collector. And so here we go. We meet the two main characters. And these two characters, this is like an amazing joke. Have you guys ever heard about like the Catholic and the Irish and the Muslim who went to the bar? Like, that's this moment right here. Th these characters um, are, could not be more different. This is like, picture Mother Teresa and John Piper, the pastor, going into the bar with Rusty, your uncle, who's known, known for drinking Bud Light, dating bad girls, playing with NASCAR, and having a vape pipe. That's this community. Are y'all with me right now? Because I'm preaching, and y'all are not giving me much right now. So, so that's this weird combination. I mean... These two people couldn't have been more different. So again, just to hone in on this, there's opposite sides of morality. And we love to do this in our own way of measuring people, don't we? There's like, there's the pastor and there's the prostitute and you're somewhere in between, right? That's how we see the spectrum of humanity. But here Jesus is going to say, actually, one of these two guys is going to walk away from the temple justified, a.k.a. right with God, a.k.a. forgiven, a.k.a. has the hope and security of eternal life. And it might not be who you expect, and so here he is, the, the religious leader, right? This is the person who memorized the first five books of the Bible. Uh, they prayed publicly, right, out in front of two times a day. They kept themselves sexually pure. They fasted twice a week. They, again, they listened to K. Lovin, only ate at God's preferred chicken Chick-fil-A. <laughs> this is the requirements of the Pharisees, right? Then there's the tax collector, and he was a totally different breed. He was known for a couple things. Tax collectors were absolutely considered the outsiders, right? Th these guys were working for the Roman government, which was oppressing God's people and occupying God's promised land and calling God's people to worship and serve Caesar. So believe it or not, the Jews did not like the Romans. And if you were a Jew working for the Romans, then you were the worst of the worst. And not only were you working for pagans, but you were oftentimes synonymous with people who would oppress God's people to line your own pockets with profit so that you could benefit on the labor of other people. Guys, this is like being a meth dealer. This is like being a sex trafficker. The whole way that you profit is by taking more than you should. That's this guy. And, and, and it's been preached about the tax collector that was called away from that place and into relationship with Jesus. But here, you see this massive disconnect, right? Like, like the tax collector couldn't even go to the temple. Like he wasn't even supposed to be there because he would have been labeled unclean. Why? Because he hung out with unclean people. The only people he hung out with was rule breakers and prostitutes and other tax collectors that oppressed God's people for their own profit. This is not a good dude. This is a dude that you turn your face away. You avoid making eye contact with him. This is a dude who would have been riddled with guilt and shame, would have been an outcast everywhere. But He's going to pray and have a conversation with God. One person here is known for their religious activity, the other for their rebellion. One for their badness, the other for their goodness. But again, one's going to be justified. So how is it in this kingdom life we're going to talk about, even here on fall retreat, this kingdom life, how do we come into the kingdom? What's the pathway to the kingdom? What's our confidence to be a part of this kingdom? First option is our merit, our trying, right? Our earning. Look at verse 11 and 12. 
the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Do you see how he's defining his spiritual resume? What's on his spiritual resume, y'all? Two things are on his resume. The first thing is, hey, God, I don't do all the bad things that other people do. Like, I don't do the bad stuff, right? I never go too far with my boo thing. I don't cross those sexual boundaries. I don't swipe right for crazy girls. I don't have that third drink. I don't do those things. I don't even listen to that kind of music anymore. I'm not that person that breaks those rules and goes to those places that I know Christians shouldn't do. So, God, I'm the obedient one in a sea of people who are disobedient. And then he doesn't just point to what he doesn't do, right? He's like, hey, I'm not doing the sins of commission. He's then going to talk about the sins of omission. I'm actually doing all the things that you would call me to do. I'm being generous. I'm tithing. And I love this. He says, I'm tithing on everything. Like if he gets a little birthday money, he's like, yeah, I got to tithe on that too, right? Like somebody donates some vegetables. I better tithe on some of that too. Like everything is an account. He is going to follow this through. And then it says he fasts. Like multiple times a week. Do you know in the Bible, God's people were called to fast one time, the day of atonement, the day that they remembered that a lamb would be slain for their sin. He's doing it twice a week, which by the way, this is what always happens with legalistic self-righteous people. God's law is right here, but they go above it just so that they can prove to God how seriously they are about their faith. And then they look down on you because you're not living according to an extra biblical law. But Christ has called freedom. He said, I've given you freedom. But this brother right here is making rules upon rules upon rules and then looking down on you because you're not playing according to his rules. That's what he's doing. So he's playing a weird legalistic religious game with God. And what he's not doing is honoring God. On some ways, let's just take a time out, Christians. Because if your son or daughter someday live like this, would you clap? Wait until you're married, didn't look at that website, stayed away from that thing, went to church always, memorized the verses. How many of you would be like, praise be to God? What a miracle. You know what this man is? Religiously active and spiritually dead. He's got a nice little spiritual resume. You know what he doesn't have? Any affection for a mighty God who's been faithful to a sinner. There's no worship in his heart. What's the center of this brother's prayer right here? You, you can always identify a self-righteous, legalistic, work-based person because this is at the very center of their life. Me, I, look at his prayer. One time he says the God's name. Five times he says, I, 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 I. I thank God I'm not like them. I thank God that I do these things. I thank God that I'm not doing that thing. It's about me. This is man-centered religion. It's a picture of every other religion in the world. It's about me earning my way to a God through my moralistic living, not through a God who had to come down and seek and save me because I was never going to get there without him. That's what's happening here. He said, God, I'm not like these other people. And by the way, look what this does again. He said, I'm not like that other person. Do you understand again what happens in religion if you're playing this game is you're going to have to compare and compete to other people to justify that you're better than others and more deserving of God's grace. And so it turns arenas like this into a spiritual competition. Did you see that? Thank God I'm not like that tax collector, right? Thank God I'm not like that person. 
Thank God I didn't do that one thing. Thank God I didn't say that one thing. Thank God I didn't have that one moment. Thank God it's been a week and I've been reading my Bible. Thank God I'm singing louder and I know some of the lyrics. Thank God I have gone longer than you have and fallen back into that old sin. Right? This is what we do to each other. We compare and we compete. Like I would hate to be in a Bible study with this brother because he would be the first one to just say, ah, how dare you? How could you? Let me tell you about when I got into college. So I came to know Christ early in my freshman year. And I don't know about like what church you guys have been a part of or what's your story, but like when I came, they gave me like a brand new New Testament, you know, like those New Testaments that are like super paper thin and like 2% font. Like you like, you got young eyes, but you still can't see it. You know what I mean? And, and so I remember going to Bible study and I didn't really fully understand the gospel. I kind of knew that Jesus had done enough to like get me into heaven, but I didn't really know what was next. Does it make any sense? Like I didn't really know like his righteousness was credited to me. I didn't have to earn anything. Like it wasn't just my past. It was like every, you know, like I was, there was a lot of gaps I needed to fill in. So I go to Bible study and, and of course, as a brand new Christian, can we just be honest? That's like the most terrifying thing ever. They're like, go to Habakkuk. And I'm like, who is Habakkuk? Did you choke? Did you have a, did you have an allergic reaction right now? You know? And, and so I go to Bible study and I'm already terrified. They're going to use some big Bible word and talk about some guy that I've never heard of. And so, uh, but I noticed like all the kids uh, that were like serious Christians that were leading the Bible study, like this was back in the day before we had iPhones. So like everybody had these huge study Bibles. Do you guys remember anybody been to church and like seen a person with a study Bible? They had this thick, massive study Bible and they were serious Christians. So they had a zipper around it. They had a Bible carrier and get this, this is where I lost it. I lost, about fainted in the Bible study. They zipped it and opened and it had 14 highlighters. I'm like, y'all got a bag for highlighters and your big Bible. Like immediately, what did I do as a brand new Christian? Like, oh dude, like I am JV. <laughs> like there's varsity Bibles in JV. I got this trash New Testament. I got no highlighters. Like if my righteousness is measured by the thickness of my Bible, I got to I gotta get in the game. So I drove to my little Christian bookstore and paid like $90 for like 76 organic highlighters that had been blessed by the Pope. I don't know what I bought. You know, like put some anointing oil on it. I don't know what's happening. You know, they're like, oh, you got a new Bible. Yeah, it was prayed over by the Pope. Like we don't even believe in that. Like, dude, I don't even know. I don't either, but she said it was special. So, you know, like... So this is what, is this not, I'm trying to tell you what happens when we get weird. Does it make sense? Uh, What I'm trying to do is like, this Pharisee isn't just out there, that's in your heart. And I don't know where you're comparing or competing or where you're trying to measure yourself or what kind of false righteousness you're trying to drum up for yourself. But I'm trying to confess to you like, this was me. This is me. One of the things that happened as a brand new Christian too, I was going through college and um, one of the weird games I would play, and I realized it's so stupid looking back, but like all the Christians I knew like strictly listened to K-Love. And I know I'm making fun of K-Love. Like if you love K-Love and you support K-Love, God bless you. Uh, some of the music is trash, okay? And so um, God's big, big house. Like why did that ever, ever, ever make it into public? And so like I would, I, I, I literally, like I told you guys, I lived, I lived on 90s rap music. That's just kind of how I grew up. So then what I would do is like, oh, I got like these two sides. Like I got the Christian side and I like my Christian friends and I don't mind all the music, but like 
I also still love to jam out to like, sure to get low, 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 like apple bottom, G, you know, like, <laughs> you know? Come on, bro, y- y'all are not, are y'all not with me right now? Can y'all not be, y'all, am I the only one right now? Like still Dre comes on and you're like, dude, you're like, I'm just, I'm feeling that right now. So, so then, so, so that happens. So like what I would do is because people would carpool, like to grow, you know, go to the gas station, get food at night or whatever. Like I would intentionally change the dial back to the Christian radio station so that when I start the car, the praise music would come on. Anybody, nobody else has ever done that game? Okay, that's how extreme I got because I was so worried that like I wasn't doing the Christian thing right, right? I got to behave in a certain way. I got to prove to everybody how serious I am about my faith. I got I to play this game where I'm trying to behave better and do more and try harder. And then if every other Christian around is like impressed with me, then maybe God will be. This is what we do when we're insecure orphans in the kingdom of God. And you don't fully understand the righteousness that is yours in Christ Jesus. This man was at the very center of his prayers. He was the biggest thing. He was keeping track of his spiritual resume, right? And I just want to warn us. Let me just tell you. Can I just warn you where this is going to take you real quick? This is going to take you. The only two outcomes for you if you want to live a workspace, religion-based life, which, by the way, outside of Christianity is every other world religion, and inside of Christianity, it's not a real form of Christianity. Here's where it's going to take you. Number one, it's going to take you to a place of despair because you're going to realize you're never good enough. You can't even keep your own rules for your life. You already been untold yourself, I'll never eat that thing, I'll never do that thing, I'll never look at that thing. You did it. So you will not be able to maintain your own standard of righteousness, let alone God's. And so your only outcome is despair, guilt, shame, or pride. And you're going to think to yourself, what you're going to do to God is you're going to lower his standard. And I've seen this. You're going to lower it from perfection to good enough. And then you're going to convince yourself that you're good enough. And you're going to ignore your worst. And you're going to celebrate your best. And you're going to tell God that you're a gift to his kingdom. And you're basically going to accuse him of not even having to die on the cross because you don't need his grace. That's where you'll be. Only two outcomes to religion. So you can play that game or second option, not God's, not our merit, but God's mercy. That's the second thing I want to show you guys. The second character is this incredible tax collector who comes forward. Verse 13, he says this, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes. Look at his posture to the heavens, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Have you ever been in that place, Salt? Have you ever been in this place where you realize that you've blown it, that you're lacking? Have you ever been in this place where you hang your head and you desperately ask God for mercy? Have you ever been to this place where you, you did the thing that you said you would never, ever do again, where you feel so dirty, like you immediately try to erase your web history because you don't even want to see what you looked at? Have you ever been in that place where you take that long shower because you feel so nasty, you just want to get it all off you? Have you ever woken up and realized the biggest problem in my life is not my mom or my dad who left or my haters or my friends or my coach or my my professor. The biggest problem in my life is me. I'm the biggest problem in my life. You are the biggest problem in your life. Have you ever been in that place? I have. And I love that this all starts and it's, it's, it's got an echo of Psalm 51 where David comes before the Lord and confesses his sin of Bathsheba, how he slept with another man's woman. He says, oh, have mercy on me. Oh, God, would you make me clean? Would you 
wipe my heart? God, would you cover me? Would you take my broken bones and restore them? God, God, would you wipe away all my sin? Would you make me as white as snow? That's David coming before the Lord. And here's this tax collector thousands of years later, and that's his very prayer. He's asking God, would you give me mercy? And you see the difference in his posture, right? Like tax collector standing up. Here's this man. He's low before the Lord. He's, his physical posture reflects his physical, his spiritual condition before a holy God. And if you notice, there is no man-centeredness. This is God-centered. God, be merciful to me. God, make me clean. God, I've sinned against you. He's not playing the comparison game. He's going vertical. He knows that his sin wasn't to other people that he just took money against. Against you and only you, Lord, have I sinned. I hope you know all of your sin in your life isn't just against other people. It's against the holy God who created you, and every sin is rebellion to him. He says, this Christian, man, his posture, his, it looks different. And by the way, I would love to be in a Bible study with this guy. I would love this guy. Because you know his only response when I confess that I fell back into that sexual sin, he's going to be like, bro, I was there too. And you know what? My only hope is not that you're going to get better and try harder and crush it this week and you're going to be victorious and I can guarantee it because I got this thing for you. No. Here's how you get better. I got accountability. There's a software. This is the thing you need to try. There's a principle you just need to be thinking about. Get a rubber band and slap yourself every time you see a cute girl. What? (laughs) Behavior modification. Don't do it. Save yourself a rubber band. What he says, I think what this guy would say is I've been there. It's not okay. It's sin. I don't want to minimize that, but I also don't want to take away from the beauty of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want you to know every single one, if God can meet me in that place, if he can show me mercy, then his mercy doesn't just stop with me. It extends to you. And so take your eyes off your sin this week and take your eyes and put them back on a merciful God. That, I just want you to know, like, that's how you came into Christianity. Like, if you thought you came in, like, here's my resume, here's my gifts, I'm good, I'm funny, I can dance, I can sing, I, I can gather people, I have something to offer you, I'm going to make a lot of money, I'm going to give to the church. God, if you, you're going to want me on your team. That's not how you came into this kingdom family. How you came into this kingdom family is this humble, lowly posture. God, I come with nothing but a debt that needs to be paid and a death that needs to be awoken and made alive. I come hungry. I come thirsty. I come needy. I come lowly. I come, I come humble, not haughty. That's the only way to come into the kingdom. And if you're like, oh, I know I was there. But let's just be honest. The temptation for the Christian is to say, I'm not comfortable with grace. I now prefer works. I want to get up from that humble posture, and I want to start performing for God because I want the Father to just start clapping. But this thing will never be about your faithfulness. It will always be about his, right? So let me show you again how this community works out. Like, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, what is the horizontal implications if this gospel is true? One, I want to say vertically, I want everybody in this room to know that mercy is not for somebody that you're thinking about, your mom, your dad, your cousin, your uncle, your teacher, that abuser. Yes, there's mercy for them, but the mercy is also for you today. For everything you didn't do that you should have this week, every time that you should, you just coasted and you were prayerless, you walked by lost people with no burden, you gave no worship to God in your life. You just walked around spiritually basically dead and apathetic to his grace. There's grace for you. And for every single person in this room that swiped right and did the thing that you told yourself you'd never do again, there's mercy for you. But let me just tell you 
this tension. Let me just keep it real. Like, this is not just good news, Instagram. Like, I love that Tony said that. Like, this is not just, oh, that's cute. God makes all the bad stuff go away. How did he do that? How did a holy, sinless, powerful judge uh, of a king, God, do that? How can Jesus talk about this sinful man who does deserve death, does deserve judgment, does deserve wrath? How is it fair that this man can walk away, as it says in Scripture, justified, having received mercy and been made right with God eternally? How could it be him? Is God just going to dismiss that stuff? Hey, it's okay that you oppress people, took profit for yourself. We're just going to look the other way. We're going to forget about that chapter and just try something new over here. No, 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 no. The reason that a just God can do that, he can show mercy to a man who had sinned greatly, is that a man who hadn't sinned will go and step into his place. See, Jesus is saying, I will go. I'm marching to Jerusalem to take on the very wrath that people like tax collectors like this man deserve. I'm going to absorb the wrath of God, the Father's, all of his punishment for sin, so people like tax collectors who need to receive mercy, they can receive mercy instead of wrath. That's the great news, that the Father would treat Jesus like this tax collector should have been, so that the Father can treat you in a unique way that Jesus deserves. That's awesome. That's the gospel. Amen? So I just want you guys to know he walks away justified. He walks away justified, forever made right with God. And, and this is the beauty of the gospel. Sinners, far from God, justified, declared righteous, right? That's the word at the beginning of the text. Righteous means I'm in right standing with God. And your confidence, again, is going to come back to, I did it, I'm better, I'm trying harder, I'm singing louder, I've got the Bible with the verses and I marked it all up. Or it's going to come back to Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, hung on a cross, defeated my enemies, rose from the grave, and stood victoriously over all of my enemies of Satan, sin, and death. And he's coming back, and my hope is in what he accomplished, because when he was on that cross, he said, it's finished. It's done. You can't add to it. Man, that's crazy good news. And that's good news for you, not just on your best days, but on your worst days that doesn't move. So I want to ask some questions before we get out of here. Number one, who are you looking down on? Can I say that? If there's a superiority in your heart, the love Christianity, because what it does is it levels the playing field. There's not black and white, rich and poor, like popular and rejects. Those are all terms that we use. You know what there is? Sinful, broken people that need the grace of Jesus Christ. There's no room. For superiority in this game. Oh, I'm the mature one and he's immature. Kill all that. If they're Christians, they're your brothers. That's what it is. Now, are they imperfect? Absolutely. Are they receiving end of mercy? Absolutely. And you know what Jesus said? Blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus Christ came to make peace. He reconciled enemies. And this will not be a reflection of the gospel if that same thing does not happen. You will preach a gospel that you don't display in your community. And that's what's happened in the churches for thousands of years, and that's part of our problem. We want to preach it, but we don't want to live it. So blessed are the peacemakers. Who are you looking down on? Second question I want to ask is, is where do you feel like God loves you because we've filled in the blank? What is that thing that you've got on your spiritual resume that you're trying to hold on to and you're so afraid to lose? I want you to know 
Would you fill in that blank with God loves me because I've placed my faith in the purpose, purpose and work of Jesus Christ. I've got my confidence in a merciful God who's mighty to save. And I want to ask the final question. Where do we need to receive mercy? Mercy is a word that says, I don't want to take on, I, want to, I don't want to get what I deserve, right? And so what you deserve is wrath. What you deserve is punishment. The Bible's not like playing games with that. Like if you've ever read your Old Testament, like I've been reading through Ezekiel, dog, it is no joke. It's like, we're going to burn the whole thing down and generations are going to be busted. I'm like, okay, man, 37 chapters. Like, bro, can a brother get one promise about Jesus? Been just something about dogs are going to get cursed. I'm like, dude, this is dark right now. The Lord is. And, you know, have you ever read your Bible and been like, what is he doing? You know what he's doing? He's saying, I take sin very seriously. He dedicates whole chapters to this whole thing because he's not trying to minimize his standard for holiness, which shouldn't scare us because we're hidden under the grace of Jesus Christ. So the judgment already fell on somebody. It's not going to fall on you. Where do you need to receive mercy? Let's pray. Jesus, I just want to pray right now for these students. God, I just know there's people in here today that need to receive mercy. Um, God, they've visited abortion clinics. They've compromised sexually. They looked at something they shouldn't, or they're just playing religious games thinking they're better than everybody else. So wherever these students are at tonight, I just want to pray that, God, your mercy would meet them in their place of their deepest shame and guilt. The thing that they hold on to and say, no, 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 no. I, I believe God can forgive me for this thing, but not this. That was way too deep. Would your grace touch that place tonight? Would you take that guilt and shame? And would you remind them that they are fully covered, past, present, and future, by your mercy, justified in you if they would just place their faith in Jesus Christ? So, God, would you do that? For all those who have faith, would they be reminded that that faith, although it might be weak and shallow at times, God, it's sufficient always. It's sufficient always. So, Lord, I want to pray also for these students. I just... Um, I believe, God, your word, even as Tony said last week, there's an invitation for people to leave their tax booth. Guys, I read your scripture. So many people's lives are absolutely directed by invitations they either accept or invitations they reject. And so I want to pray right now for these students. They would, they would receive the, the invitation to step into fall getaway, to take a step of faith into community, step of faith into to sitting under the word of God instead of just Netflixing and chilling and scrolling. So God, would you prompt hearts? Would you move in people? That there would be a, a moment of courage that says, I don't understand what I'm getting into, but I'm gonna go. So God, would you meet people tonight? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.